Uh, We are going through the book of Romans. In the last several weeks, we've been looking at uh, the life of Abraham. And the reason we've been looking at the life of Abraham in in Romans 4 is because Paul is uh, trying to make his point that uh, those who are justified before God are justified not by works, but by faith. Now, we're going to see this in our text again uh, this morning. In fact, we have in capsule in verses 23 through 25, the gospel itself, very, very clear. Now, this morning, though, uh, there are two things. One is, you might be here today and you don't understand the gospel. And so we need to go over that. And we'll see that in our text. But I think, uh, especially at this Christmas time, we who, who are believers in Christ begin to ponder and think what that means And his person and his work, uh, are we declaring this gospel? Uh, This is good news that that Paul preached. So let's uh, let's look at our text uh, this morning. It's taken from Romans chapter 4, the first five verses, and then uh, verses 23 through 25. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according uh, to the flesh, being Jewish? For if Abraham was uh, justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Let's pray together. Father, it's good to be together as your people. And Father, it's good to have those who are with us today who are either visiting or those who are perhaps uh, seeking to know what it means to know Jesus and to to, um, look at the gospel. We pray, Lord, that you would... uh, be with us as we look at your word and as we talk about what Christ has done and as we look at how that gospel has impacted other people. And so, Lord, we pray for your spirit's work this morning and we ask these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. We kind of enter the Advent season and as we do, and we consider the amazing reality of God becoming flesh. That the eternal Son of God is in the womb of Mary, a poor Hebrew woman. That he is created as a human being, nurturing off her placenta, being birthed into the world, nurturing from her breast and growing as a human being. Uh, and as we, as we uh, enter th- this season, sometimes I think as we, as we sing the hymns or sing the carols, we lose the theology that's there, uh, I think sometimes because um, 
you know, just the joy of the music and the joy of the season. But what I'd like to do for just a moment is turn to the back hymn here uh, to see a little bit of the theology and the profound poetry that Wesley speaks of, Charles Wesley. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hell the incarnate deity. Pleases man to, with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. And then the next stanza, hell the heaven born prince of peace, hell the son of righteousness, light and light of all he brings, risen with healing in his wings, mild he, he, lay, he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. This is unbelievable poetry because in, in these stanzas we see two things. Uh, just in this hymn. The first thing we see is the, 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 uh, the, the person of Christ. Uh, Wesley says this, uh, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hell the incarnate deity. So we see his person, and sometimes if you just sit and think about the fact that God Almighty took upon himself human flesh and thus will always forever be both God and man on our behalf. But not only does he speak of his person, but he also speaks uh, of his work. I mean, why did he come? As we, as we celebrate Christmas and we think about the incarnation, the amazing reality of that, why did he come? Well, he goes on to tell us that born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. But this is the point of our text this morning. That we see in verse, verses 23 through 25 that Christ came into this earth. That is the beginning of the story. That is the end of the... Uh, but it's not the end of the story. Our text tells us that he was born as a man of sorrows. He was born to die. And he was crucified and died and delivered up by God his Father on our behalf for our sins. But that's not the end of the story. It's really the beginning because in his resurrection, we're justified. It is a sign that Christ has finished the work and that we will live forever and ever because of the work of Christ on our behalf. That's amazing. And so the question ends up being, at this point, do we proclaim this gospel? I mean, it really is an amazing story. and We'll come back later and talk about how you can proclaim the gospel. But I was listening to another hymn yesterday that asks this question or presents this. Uh, sung by James Taylor, actually. But it goes like this. Uh, down... In a lowly manger, our humble Christ was born. And God sends us salvation that blessed Christmas morn. Y'all know this song, don't you? Go do what? 
tell it on the mountain. Over the hills and everywhere, go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. And then he says this, when, when I am a seeker, I seek both day and night, I seek the Lord to help me. And he shows me the way, go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. And then it ends by saying this, he made me a watchman upon the city wall. And if I am a Christian, I am the least of all. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountains that Jesus Christ was born. Let me tell you what I want to do today. And I hope this works. Uh, I, want to do, I want to do two simple things. And then I want to end by giving a rather lengthy uh, illustration from a book that I read, uh, reread, that I read years ago called Bruchka. And, um, and then we'll close. What are the two things? Uh, well, first off, I want us to see why we should shout out from the mountain that Jesus Christ was born. And then I want us to see uh, also, who are those who are actually doing that? These are amazing truths. That, that what, what we read in our text, what we, what we are going to sing at the end of our service, what God has done on our behalf, and, uh, and it's this gospel that, that Paul proclaims. It is the gospel that we should, w- w- that we should uh, share w- with folks. And so, first off, why should we shout out the gospel? Why should we do that? Well, Paul actually, in, 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 uh, in verse 1 of our chapter, says exactly this. What shall we proclaim? What shall we say? concerning these truths that he's already presented before chapter 4 about the gift of salvation. And Jesus Christ, what shall we say? What does it mean? And why should we say it? Now one thing is for sure is uh, after Paul met Christ and he received the Holy Spirit, not only did he shout it out from the mountaintop, Paul went in all the world. He gave his life. Now, again, he was an apostle. But he met Christ and, and he went, throughout, went out through Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the, to the world to proclaim uh, this gospel. But also the apostles. Uh, those men who had seen Christ do miracles. Those men who lived with him for three years. And then those men who uh, fled from him for fear of death when they received the Holy Spirit and they were given spiritual ears to hear and spiritual eyes to see, even though they saw him in the flesh with their own fleshly eyes, when they received the Holy Spirit, these men who fled were the very men who ultimately gave their lives for the gospel, which is one of the greatest uh, uh, proofs that our Lord Jesus has risen today, that he has been raised from from the dead. But Paul tells us in our text uh, why what he once hated and wanted to stamp out, and that is the gospel of Christ, he was now a herald. Why did he do that? Well, you know, before he met Christ, Paul believed in good advice. Uh, Paul believed, uh, first off, that, uh, that salvation was for the Jews only, 
And ultimately to be a, a, a good Jews, Jew was to abide by the teachings of the Old Testament. That, uh, that we are to be, uh, if you're a Jewish, you are to sought to be justified not only through your circumcision, but through your keeping of the law. And so he was one who believed that the gospel was the, a gospel of advice. But when he met our Lord Jesus Christ, all of a sudden he began to see that everything that he believed before was completely wrong. In fact, it didn't make any sense at all. And what was it that he discovered? Well, he discovered that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That all the Bible was, was not about the Jews. It was not about salvation to the Jews. But all the Bible is about the person of Christ who is the Savior of all men because being circumcised, being Jewish won't save you. Being baptized as a Roman Catholic, if you're here today and you're Catholic and you're trusting in the church, won't save you. Or if you're a, a, a Baptist and believe in personal experience and that you had a born-again experience, that that's not what will save you. Or if you come from our tradition where if, you come, if you're around Presbyterians long enough, you discover that one of the great gifts, I think, to the Reformed Church is right thinking about the Scriptures and about Christ and about what he has done. But right thinking does not save you. It is Christ, the Son of God, who came long before you were born, who, according to the Scriptures, that if you're in Christ this morning, was crucified on your behalf, and when he died, he died for you by name. You were in Christ. And so Paul's whole point of the book uh, 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 of Romans chapter 4, pointing all of us to Abraham, is that Abraham is the father not only of the Jews, but of the Gentiles. He is the father of all this morning who would put their faith and trust in the promised seed who is Jesus Christ. That's what our text says. Our text says that he was del delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our transgression. You were not delivered up. It is not your righteousness that gets delivered up or whether you're a member of Redeemer that gets uh, delivered up. He was delivered up because there's nothing we could do. And a sign that he has delivered us from our sins is his resurrection. Now, do you believe that, friend? Now, we haven't gotten to all the implications of what we call the imparted righteousness of Christ, the life of Christ. We're going to get into that in Romans chapter 5 and 6 and 7. But what Paul is trying to lay firmly down this morning, uh, through these first uh, four chapters, it's what we call the imputed righteousness of Christ. What has been given to us on our behalf? Now let me explain to you what that means. If maybe for the first time you, you never heard this. Maybe you're visiting that. And you're thinking, how can I be right with God? I really want to know who God is. How can I know God because he seems so distant from me? 
And the more I try to be a good Christian or the more I try to, to be a good person, the more I realize that really it's in my efforts to be what God has called me to be uh, that I begin to see what the gap is. But you see, let me tell you where a lot of us think at this point. That we just need to have more faith. We just need to try harder to believe. And so even for us who at some level understand the gospel, begin to move away from the object of our faith, and we begin to look at our faith. And so here's how you live your life. You come here on Sunday mornings and you go, um, you know, I should have been a better person. I know I'm hearing the gospel, but I, I'm having a hard time really believing that after this past week that I'm still right with God. Or forget the last year, okay, just this past year. Now, I've been a Christian for 38 years. I, I, I was born again in 1972, in June of 1970. I met Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you that I've thrown a whole lot more sin in 38 years I've known Christ than when, I, than when I first believed. I was only 17, 18 at the time. Matter of fact, I can tell you that as your pastor, that I stand before you this morning to minister to Christ, not in the name of how I did this week, But for me to preach the gospel to myself and to all of us, what imputation is? And what imputation is, is that Christ substituted completely on your behalf. And I will even go so far and so bold to say this, until you understand that you'll never have the freedom to fail. Now, some of you that are Reformed, or some of you heard this a lot, you're bored already. You're going, well, I've, I've heard that. I got that. I understand that. Matter of fact, some of you who actually became Christians at Redeemer, uh, you're beginning to move away from the reality of, of what that is, and you're going, okay, well, I think I understand that, so what's next? There is nothing next. It is living in light of the work of Christ on your behalf. Now let me come back to you who maybe are not believers this morning and explain it one other way. Let me tell you what I think uh, really registered with Paul. Once he met Christ and went for three years to study the Old Testament, right? Before he went out to proclaim. Kind of went to seminary, I guess. And so he's there for three years and all of a sudden he's starting to go, you know, what we believed before as Jews apart from the gospel by faith really makes no sense at all. Because on the one hand you have law and, uh, and then on the other hand you have the sacrifices. Uh, so is it the law or is it sacrifices? What, what makes us right with God? And of course he begins to read the Old Testament. And then he begins to read uh, uh, the, uh, the Passover. And for y'all that don't know about the Passover, uh, the, the oldest child of any person in Egypt... Jew or non-Jew, who was not inside a house that had the blood of lambs slain and covered over their doorpost, that child would die. Jew or Gentile. On the other hand, the oldest son. On the other hand, if they were inside the house, and when the angel of death came in, that child lived. 
Now what had to begin to register with Paul was, well, it didn't matter whether you were a, Jew, a good Jewish boy or not. It didn't even matter what your nationality was or not. As long as you were in that house where the blood was shed up over the doorpost, you were completely spared from the angel of death. You see, this is what imputation means. That if you're in Christ, it doesn't matter what you did last week. It doesn't matter. And again, you might go, whoa, wait a minute. Well, what about, what about uh, sanctification? I'm not talking about sanctification. We're going to get there. But until you understand this, your sanctification will end up determining whether you really are resting in Christ. That sanctification is a freedom as well. But you see, what this means is that whatever sin you've ever committed, ever have committed, or ever will commit, it doesn't matter whether you're a good Christian or a bad Christian. What matters is that by faith, you are believing in the promise of God that that is true. Look, I know, I know you people, and y'all know me. I know your sins. Your sins are common to all men. Unbelief, greed, selfishness, being petty. Saying one thing before your children about what we believe about Jesus Christ, and they sit there and watch us not believe it at all. I, I know your sins. I know my sins. But I get up every Sunday because Christ is risen. Our sin is buried. You're free. Okay, you see, so what Paul is saying is, oh, Abraham, he believed in that truth. Now, before I move to my next point, do you believe that? Are you resting in what Christ has accomplished? What he's already done. Look, there, there are no good people. Like if you're, if you're mad, if you're upset with your spouse all the time, you don't need Christ. Because you know what? You, you're, you're thinking, that, and I'm not saying there are not legitimate reasons to be upset. But you see, to begin to behold the fact that you're in Christ and what he has done. And it's settled. And you start looking to that. Now here's the second question. Okay, is that, is that the gospel? Is that what we believe as Reformed people? We believe that Christ has finished the work. If you're in Christ, you can never, out, you can never undo what he has done on your behalf. But let me say this. If that has happened, as I come to my next point, you've been given the Holy Spirit. Because what is wrapped up in the death and resurrection of Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit is justification, adoption, sanctification, all the benefits... And so she'd go, well, I believe that. But you don't ever do anything with it? And we'll get there later in chapter 5 and chapter 6. So simply ask, what is a sign that I'm really beginning to believe the gospel? What is a sign of that? You're participating in the gospel. We together are going, oh, this is what we believe at Redeemer. This is the gospel we preach. Come with me, hear the gospel. And where do we see that? Notice what he says in verse 23. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours. For ours. So how do you know whether the, the, the gospel 
uh, and the realities of imputation that's taking place in your life. And by the way, if you're 14 years old, I want you to listen to me. Man. I'm going to explain. You're going to see this in, in my final illustration about a, a kid who really grasped hold of this. But what, what, how do we know? I think the way that we know is that we glorify God, according to our text, by believing into this in such a way that we're participating in it. I don't know how else to say it. Now, some of, some of us might go to church out of habit when you go, okay, well, I've heard this before. Well, in the scriptures, when it talks about believing in Christ, and even the Greek word here for pastuo, it's not like an intellectual belief, but it is believing into it. It is believing, walking into it, and continuing the process of walking into the fact that Christ is risen on your behalf. So, so what does that look like practically? And then I want to end with, a, with a, an illustration here. Well, I think, what it, I think what it looks like practically is that you go to church every Sunday. You, you never miss. And the reason you don't miss is because, well, hopefully you go to a gospel preaching church, but the reason you don't miss is not because, um, well, I need to be at church on Sunday. But that's a good thing. And I would never beat y'all up to say you need to be here at church. Um... The reason that you come is because you need to hear over and over and over the gospel on what God has done for you. Let me tell you why some of you are bored with the gospel. And you're going, I've, I've heard this. I, I got this. Now, again, if you're not a Christian, maybe this is the first time you've heard it. I'm thrilled that you're hearing the good news that Christ has finished the work. That's, that's what imputation is. But I tell you, it's one, of, uh, it's one of two things. Number one is that you don't really believe the promises of God. That, that, that would be the first thing. You really don't believe. You're still depressed and discouraged and down after all these years because you're not believing that, hey, I knew what you were going to do in 1988. I knew what you were going to do in 1997. Or y'all pick a good year that you send, okay? Pick your big year. Adultery. That's a big one. And then, then you, and you had an affair after you were a Christian. Is that possible? Well, you know what? David did. Or you say, well, I don't, I don't, I don't have a problem with that. Well, what about the sin of racism? Because you see, that's what Paul basically accuses Peter of. And he, said, he didn't say, Peter, you're a racist. He says, you've forgotten the gospel. You're starting to care about what everybody else thinks about you. So you know what? You're pulling away from all the Gentiles when the Jews come, the Pharisees come, and the, the, the Judaizers come because you know what? You don't want to be like, uh, uh, you want to be accepted by these. That's a gospel issue. Everything, ultimately, is a gospel issue. But you see, number one, you don't believe that God's promise. And that's why you're, you're not talking to people about it, are you? Maybe at one time you did. You used to be a sharing machine. But you don't share anymore. You bury your head in your shame. That's not the gospel. Where sin abounds, we'll learn next chapter, grace abounds all the more. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Let me tell you another reason 
is, is not only because you don't believe the promises of God, another reason is because you don't believe the power of God. That he is able to radically change you, even if you've been a Christian for 10 years. He loves you. If you're his, he's finished the work on your behalf and he is able to forgive you of your sins of tomorrow. Is, is anybody going to sin tomorrow? Yeah, you're going to breathe when you wake up tomorrow and put your feet on the floor and as soon as you breathe, you're going to sin because you don't love God with all your heart, soul, and mind and you don't love your neighbors yourself and neither does your pastor. But you know what? Christ is risen. And by faith, we're united to him by the Holy Spirit. And until you begin to understand that God is, is, keeps his word and that he is powerful, then you'll impugn the very integrity and character of God. And that is unbelief, you see? Now, so let me close by giving you an illustration. Um, I think about this a fair amount. I have to, right? I've got to get up and preach every Sunday. It is an advantage of being a minister. Y'all can hear it on Sunday morning and then don't have to think about it again. Which means you're not getting the gospel. It is a benefit of being a minister. But this week, I, 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 uh, uh, on Thursday, I was going to sit down and work on my sermon. And ended up not working on it. It was kind of my day off, but Mary Beth was out of town. And I picked up this book. And I'd encourage you to read it. It's called Bruchko, okay? Now let me tell you why I picked up this book. Mary Beth gave it to our boys. I, he might, she might have given it to Elizabeth. I have four children. And I think one of my sons might, maybe has read it. But uh, it's, a, it's a book that, that impacted us in the late 70s. Mary Beth and I are new believers. We start dating each other. And the reason that I wanted to date Mary Beth is because I think she, that she not only grasped the gospel, but she wanted to serve God in his kingdom. I mean, that, I was not the center of her world. That was a good thing. And, uh, and I think she felt the same about me. And, uh, and why did we want to do that? Well, I can't speak for everybody else, but in 1972 I met Jesus when I was 17 years old. And my life's never been the same. Why? Because I'm a good person? No. And have I sinned since 1972? I've already said that. So anyhow, so we, we are, we're trying to figure out, are we going to be Presbyterians, Catholics, Baptists, Methodists, right? Because we're just going, what does the Bible teach about Jesus? And uh, what I discovered was that the Bible teaches Jesus about Jesus. But anyhow, so, so we read this book, and this book uh, is about a gentleman uh, who back in 1978 when we read... Uh, um, radically uh, changed a primitive tribe in Colombia, America, South America. And, um, but as, as I began to read the book, and I was like, yeah, man, this is great. This is why I remembered, man, we want to be committed like this. In fact, my wife told me how to be a minister, and I said, okay, We'll, I will be a minister, you'll be my, my wife, we'll go do this under one condition. She said, what's that? I said, we'll go anywhere in the world. We're not just going back to Athens, Georgia, kind of jockey to get back, you know, where you can be with the Bulldogs. And she said, I agree with that. I totally agree with that. And I said, no, no, I'm talking about like headhunter Indians. And she said, I agree with that. But Right, if you're called to do that, then there's no righteousness in that. Christ is our righteousness. And you're just as righteous as Bridge Code this morning if you're in Christ because he would tell you that what I've done is not my righteousness. Well, anyhow, so I started reading this book and rereading it. Ah, oh, man, this is great. 
But then as I'm reading this book, I realize that this is a sequel. And the sequel is what had happened since I read the book in 1978. And what God has done in his life while I'm sitting around tooling around a little bit. Do I feel guilty about it? No. Don't feel guilty about it. Bruce Olson was uh, someone who grasped Christ is risen. Christ must be preached to all the nations. And uh, so, how did this begin in his life? And Well, he was 14 years old. So if you're 14 years old and you're thinking, well, I'll think about this later. He, his name's Bruce Olson. He grew up in, in Minnesota. He grew up Lutheran. And he went to church, and he went to church, and he went to church. It didn't mean anything to him. He probably slept way through sermons or maybe drew little pictures, which is fine uh, if you're like under 14. <laughs> maybe like six or five. And uh, so, but he, he, he uh, became very concerned because uh, there was no life in him, and he's 14. And all he ever heard about was God's judgment. But what he decided to do when he's 14, and my wife did this before she became a Christian, she started reading the Bible at about 14. So he's reading the Bible. And so as he's reading the Bible at 14 years old, he gets very confused. And the reason he gets confused is because he's going, wait a minute. I'm Everything I'm hearing about is the God of judgment, but what I'm seeing over here is in Jesus Christ, there seems to be a contradiction. Because you know what? He came so we wouldn't be judged. He came to bring us life. He came to bring us, us hope. And so one day he was reading Luke 19, verse 10. He said, For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. But how would Jesus save him from what? And what would he save him for? From? He said then, as he was reading this, he's asking this question, God, I want to know who you are. What does this mean? All of a sudden, the the spirit moved. I, I don't know how to explain it. And he was converted at 14 years old. And then what he started doing at 14, he said he was a real geek, and so he started studying Greek instead of playing football or all that other stuff at 14. And so he, starts, he got very interested in languages. Then he went off to college, and he continued to grow in, in, in uh, what it meant to know Christ. And, and then he heard a missionary uh, uh, talk about uh, being a missionary to, to, the, to the headhunters of Papua New Guinea. And at that point, it began to resonate uh, with him that, you know, I, I think I want to be a missionary, 19 years old. So what he does, he quits college. Now, by the way, I don't recommend it working this way, and he says, don't go about it this way, but it was a, a boy at 14 who comes to Christ, and he's going in this faith. He's understanding that people need to hear the gospel, and he became very burdened about the Madelone Indians in Colombia, Indians that nobody ever went into their territory or they would not come out alive. And so he had a burden for them, and he couldn't get rid of the burden. So he, he quit college in sophomore year, and, and, and again, you parents don't, I'm not recommending you quit college, unless God calls you to. That's okay. If you're doing what God calls you to do, okay? And uh, I might get an email on this one, but... <laughs> so so he, he has $75. He gets on an airplane, and he flies to Columbia, and he knew two words of Spanish. Of course, he knows 16 languages now. Two words of Spanish. And uh, so, but as soon as he gets off the plane, he, he meets some students 
Who want to know English? So they teach him Spanish. They say, but do the trade-off. He learns Spanish. He becomes fluent in it fairly quickly. He became fluent in it enough to say, hey, I want to share Christ with these uh, Madelone Indians. And they went, what? You can't do that. They'll kill you. And he said, well, I, I really feel God wants me to take the gospel to them because I've heard it and nobody else is telling them. And I feel very called of God to go to the Madelone Indians. And so he went to them and they shot him with arrows and captured him. And he was dying in the hut. He was kind of wondering what they are going to do to him after he died. Somehow he escaped. And about the time he got healed, three months later, he went back and he began to give gifts along the path. And to make a long story short, he became friends with them. They took him in. He became friends with one of the Indians who eventually became a believer in Jesus Christ. And... Uh, uh, and so this, uh, in his name, they call him for short Bobby. Bobby comes to Christ. Bobby begins to share the gospel as he understood it, uh, especially as they started translating the New Testament, with the other Indians. 70% of a 5,000-member tribe became Christians. But not only that, but they began to share the gospel with the Yucca tribe that they were always enemies with. And they started becoming Christians. And uh, not, not only that, but he began to start a school there. And uh, eventually, uh, uh, these Indians were, were, were coming to faith. They were being educated, became doctors and lawyers, went back. And so in the process, you see that uh, not only are they hearing the gospel, but it's transforming this whole culture that's there, even to where the government began to understand it. And, uh, well, that's kind of where I let the end of the story. That was 1978, and I thought, man, that's awesome. Well, since then, I, as I started reading the book, I went, oh, my, this is a sequel. And so, since I had read that book, he continued the process of proclaiming this good news, that Christ is born, Christ is living on our behalf, Christ has been crucified for our sins, he's raised, and, it was tra- and for y'all that go, well, is that really right to share with these tribes? No, it transforms them because they lived in fear of law and not grace. And so eventually, uh, the uh, communist guerrillas, who were very violent in Colombia, captured him. He was the number one target. And they wanted him to say that the reason this tribe has changed is because of communism. And he wasn't. Now here's the sequel. He was tied to a tree for four months. Never off the tree. For ten months uh, he, was, he was captured. Uh, he, he was in captivity and one by one he would watch people come in and be executed. Come in and be executed. And they kept telling him, you're going to be executed unless you uh, sign a paper that says uh, communism is what's changed these Indians. He wouldn't do it. He said, no, it's the gospel of Jesus. But in the 10 months that he was there, there were 200 guerrillas. And 120 of them came to Christ. He led 120 of them to Christ. And so, uh, and this is in the midst of incredible torture and beatings. This is the sequel. <laughs> and I'm thinking, Wow. What have I been doing since he's been continuing being beaten for the gospel? Well, I don't feel guilty about it. I really don't feel guilty. But you know why? Because you know what? Jesus, Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. But here is a man who began to understand the gospel at an early age. He carried that gospel out. And to learn, he calls you in to call you out. And uh, the story goes on that now half the Communist Party uh, has dropped their guns in Colombia. They're still communists, but they don't believe in violence. And um, 
But he says, I'm here to preach Christ, not uh, government policies. So you know why that's good for me? I'll tell you why that's good for me. Because I want to share that with, with y'all and go, hey, this, when you come Sunday, Sunday in and Sunday out, and, and, and it doesn't really mean that much to you, imputation doesn't mean a lot to you, it might be because there is no imputation. Because it's theory. It is being born again of the Spirit. It is believing into Christ. It is not, it's not dating Jesus. It's being married to Him. Married to Him. And the fruit of that marriage is the fruit of the Spirit, is the fruit of people that you know in your spheres of influence coming to Jesus Christ. Now, so let me close by saying this. It's a wonderful time of year. The incarnation. To celebrate. To sing these, uh, to sing these uh, hymns of the incarnation. But that's the beginning of the story. You know what the end of the story is? Is that not only is he born, but he lived and he died and he's raised and he lives today. And I want us to share this gospel, this good news, that Christ is risen with others. Guys, let's not be petty. Let's not always be thinking about our world and our bills and my marriage and this and that and the other. Can we begin to say, hey, Jesus, we believe that you're raised from the dead and that power, would you work that in our lives? Let's pray together. Uh, Father, I, I pray that we would all participate in this good news so that those who are here this morning that don't know Christ can come to know him. And Lord, I, I really believe that's impossible to happen until we begin to believe in your character. That you do love us. You've chosen to love us. And you are a powerful God who can take our broken marriages, our broken pocketbooks, our broken lives, our broken walk with you and restore it. So would you do that this morning? Father, we thank you for men like Bruce Olson. But Lord, we know it's not Bruce. It's your spirit in him. And uh, what, what you can do through one person with 75 bucks and a plane ticket one way. Oh, Father, would you work in us in such a way that we would, we would see great things done through us and through us as a church. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Those serving communion would come forward.